Like David said, we're in a new part of our sermon series going through the book of Acts called One Focus. And just like Missy and Jordan have just shared, that they feel like God has given them one focus to live out his purpose in their lives as teachers, here's my hope. I would like every single person at this church to be able to say with more and more clarity and confidence, I know God's universal mission for his whole church and I know his specific purpose for me in my life as well. I want all of us to be able to say how our lives contribute to the mission of God's church. Because here's what the book of Acts tells us. There's one God who has established for himself one church. He gave that church one mission and he invites you to have one focus in your life that helps accomplish God's mission for his church. But as we've been studying along, we've been following the Apostle Paul on his journeys, and what we see is that Paul was a man of intense focus, but that focus had some consequences. And so here's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about whether or not we're really ready to make the choice to live our lives with focus on what God has called us to do. And and so I want to start by exploring this idea. Choices have consequences. I'm guessing you've learned this maybe from a young age, maybe in adulthood. We learn this in all sorts of different ways. I learned this when I was a little boy, and I watched the movie Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And in that movie, Pee-wee Herman tried to surf on his bike, one foot on the seat, one foot on the handlebars. Well, I thought to myself, I can totally do that. And you know what? It didn't go very well. And I learned choices have consequences. Or again, later in life when I was in college and Krispy Kreme Donuts opened their very first store in Minnesota. And so I decided one evening with some friends to drive two hours from southern Minneapolis or southern you know, Minneapolis up to the northern corner to wait in line for four hours and then to drive the two-hour drive home. And it turns out that didn't help me do very well on the exam I had the next day. I learned again that choices have consequences. Have you learned that lesson in your life? Have you learned that whatever choice we make, whatever decision, whatever action we take, it will have some consequences? Consequences often means bad things, and certainly there is some pain that comes with choices, but consequences can also be good and helpful things as well. One of the famous ways that this was observed was from the scientist Isaac Newton when he said, every action, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Every choice we make has an equal and opposite reaction. Every action, every step will have some consequences. So I've been asking you, and we're going to ask you again, will you consider to make the choice to make God's purpose for your life the one focus of everything you do? And here's what I want to talk about. If you make that choice, it will have some consequences in your life. Some are going to be hard. Some are going to be easy. They're all going to be good. So this morning we're talking about the consequences of focus. 
And as we've been following along with the life of Paul, we've come now to Acts from the end of chapter 20 through the end of chapter 22. And we're going to talk about most of that. We won't read the whole thing, but we'll kind of talk through that whole story. And I've identified what I believe are six consequences of focus in Paul's life in this part of the story. This is certainly not every consequence that could happen from living a life of focus, but these are consequences we see in Paul's life. Like I said, some of them are challenging, painful things. Some of them are helpful, encouraging things, but all of them, because God is with us, are certainly good things. So to catch us up a little bit, Paul has heard a call from God, and he believes God is calling him to go to Jerusalem. But he also knows that going to Jerusalem could be very dangerous. The Jewish leadership in Jerusalem is very upset with Paul because Paul has been proclaiming the good news of Jesus to Gentiles. But Paul is living his life with an intense focus because Paul has met God himself. And Paul knows that God gave Paul his one focus. We read in a couple places in Acts how Jesus said to Paul, Paul, you will proclaim my name, the name of Jesus, to the Gentiles, to the kings of the Gentiles, and to all the people of Israel. And Jesus said, Paul, I'm even going to let you know you're probably going to suffer along the way. And that call from God has been Paul's one focus. It guides all his actions. So even though going to Jerusalem could be dangerous to Paul, he still decides to go because he believes that going will accomplish his one focus in life. Well, you may recall last Sunday we left off where Paul was with some very good friends of his, the leaders from one of the churches he planted, the church in Ephesus. And he's just told them, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem And this might be the last time that I ever see you. So this is a really tearful, painful parting that Paul is in the midst of. And here's where we pick up the story at the end of Acts chapter 20. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. So Paul here, by choosing to go to Jerusalem, is having to experience a very painful parting in his life. Have you ever had an experience like this? Have you ever had an experience where you knew what you should be doing? You knew, you know what, I need to make this career change. I need to make this friendship decision. I need to make this trajectory-altering decision in my life. But you also know that by making that decision, you're going to have to say goodbye to some people or to some circumstances that you really like. Anybody that you know that's made the choice to go and serve God overseas has to experience exactly this painful parting. But for, for Paul, the difficulty of saying goodbye to friends isn't in the foreground. Rather, his one focus is in the foreground. And it seems that Paul is able to bear this pain quite significantly, which is exactly what the first consequence of focus is. In our lives, when we face painful partings, focus makes pain more bearable. I think there may be nothing worse than purposeless 
pain. There might be no category of suffering greater than suffering that has no apparent reason or explanation for us. But if we know that this life is filled with suffering, and if we know that God can use everything in our lives, redeem every part of our lives to accomplish his purposes, then we know that focus, it can make pain more bearable because it clarifies pain's purpose. Paul is going to Jerusalem. He knows it might be difficult, but he knows he's going, and he knows whatever pain he experiences is part of the purpose God has given for his life. So as you look at your life, and as you look at any pain or difficulty that you might be facing in your life, let me ask you, do you know the one focus? Because if you know that one focus, it will make whatever pain you're facing in life more bearable. Well, Paul says goodbye to these friends of his, and he travels on from there, but this is a long journey. And so Paul doesn't just take the direct flight straight from Ephesus to Jerusalem. No, he gets on a ship, and he's going to have to take a long journey on the way. And so he makes a stop off where the ship has to unload its cargo, and he meets up with yet some more friends of him. And he tells these friends, again, what his purpose is. God has called him to go to Jerusalem. But a really interesting thing happens as he's in conversation with these other friends. Let's read how the story continues. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Okay, that's a really interesting last statement in my mind. It says, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Okay, hold on a second, hold on a second. We know from a couple chapters ago, Paul said, God has compelled me. So Paul, in his prayer, in his discernment from God, Paul believes that God has told him to go to Jerusalem. And now he's with some other friends who, in the Spirit, who in their prayer and in their discernment from God, they believe Paul shouldn't go to Jerusalem. Paul is getting some conflicting advice here. Have you ever been in a circumstance like this? Have you ever been in a circumstance where over here you're getting some advice and some opinion? Hey, this is a good idea. This is the right thing. And over here you're getting some other advice, also from smart, godly, wise people who say, no, this different thing is a good idea. And you're stuck between conflicting information. I mean, we're not talking about, oh, these are the smart, kind, godly people, and then all the other people who don't care about being good. That's their advice. No, no, no. This is Paul's own discernment and good friends of his, and their advice is conflicting. But Paul is able, even in the face of this urging of his friends to stop the journey, Paul decides to keep going. And here's why. Because he is absolutely certain of what God has called him to do. And that gives us the second consequence of focus. Focus deflects distractions. Because isn't it true that we live in a world full of opportunity? I mean, we live in a world full of so many different good things that we could do. I heard it said recently, 
in our lives, we can do just about anything that we want to do. But we can't do everything we want to do because we live in a world so full of opportunity. And so how do we decide between the opportunities that are really the right path to follow and the other ones that, good though they may be, are distractions that need to keep us aside? Well, for Paul, it was focus that helped him differentiate between the right steps and the distractions. Focus keeps us on track. It's like when I was a boy and I went up to Lutzen Mountain up the north shore of northern Minnesota. And in the summers, Lutzen had this kind of death trap called an alpine slide. It was a huge concrete half tube that wove its way down the mountain. And they put a sled on the slide that had wheels on the bottom. Wheels on a sled that goes down a concrete death tube? Whose idea was this? And they put in the middle a small wooden handle that if you pull up the handle, the wood drags on the concrete and acts as a brake. Well, you better have focus when you're riding the alpine slide because if you don't have focus, if you're not operating the brakes, if you don't make the right turns, you know what happens? You fly off the tracks. And when you fly off the tracks of life, it hurts focus deflects distractions and it keeps us on track the story continues paul eventually makes it to jerusalem and when he gets to jerusalem he's reunited with the church leaders in jerusalem again these are people that he has known for a long time these are the people with whom he discerned the very difficult challenge that we talked about back in acts 15 there was a huge division in the church about Jews and Gentiles and circumcision. And now Paul is with them, and they're giving him some counsel about how he should proceed on his current mission. Because here's what the leaders in Jerusalem realize. They realize Paul really is in a significant danger here. All of the Jewish leaders have heard what Paul is saying to the Gentiles, and they don't like it. The Jewish leaders in Jerusalem think Paul has thrown aside the law of Moses and thrown aside everything that is precious and dear to Judaism. So the church leaders in Jerusalem want to give Paul advice on how to proceed. They want to help Paul patch things up between himself and the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. So here is what they say. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know that there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. So Paul's friends tell him, Paul, your relationship with the Jewish leaders is kind of in a rough spot 
right now. It's kind of like you forgot their anniversary and they're a little upset at you about it. You need to patch things up. And because of Paul's focus, this conversation with his leaders helps him because focus highlights the critical actions that Paul needs to take. And Paul knows if he wants to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the Jewish people, he needs to have an audience with the Jewish people. And so let me ask you in your life, it's actually been really interesting talking to people. Um, I've been hearing back from people in the congregation. Some of you guys, you feel like when I say, what's the one focus of your life? You feel like I've got that answered and it's encouraging to clarify it all the more and be all the more committed. Other people are saying, you know, this is a good thought exercise and I've been praying, I've been journaling, I've been studying scripture, but it's hard work. It's kind of coming clear, but I don't know. Well, wherever you're at on the journey, here's one of the questions you're going to have to ask yourself over and over and over. The more clarity we have on focus, you then are able to ask, what are the most critical actions you need to take to accomplish the mission God has given you? And it's such a helpful thing. The greater the clarity of the focus, the greater the clarity of the next steps. But here's the problem for Paul. This advice from the Jewish, uh, from the the church leaders in Jerusalem is really good advice. But it's kind of like the husband who forgot the anniversary and then came home the next day and said, hey, honey, I'm going to patch things up. I bought you a Starbucks card. (laughs) The gesture just isn't sufficient for how big the problem is. And that's exactly what Paul finds. He goes to the temple with these four men. He goes intending to demonstrate that he still loves and follows the law of Moses. But there's a rumor that's being spread. And the rumor is that these four men with Paul are not Jewish men, but rather they're Gentiles. There's even a rumor that one of the Gentiles is an Egyptian terrorist. So what Paul thinks he's doing to patch things up with the Jewish leaders others are claiming is actually making it worse because if this is an Egyptian with Paul, then Paul is bringing a Gentile into the temple and that is way out of bounds. So the rumors get spread around and it turns into a very serious problem for Paul. And here's how the story continues. The whole city was aroused And the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple. And immediately, the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another, and since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed him kept shouting, 
get rid of him. Try and let this scene just sink into your mind for a second. First of all, it says the whole city of Jerusalem came running. I don't know how many people that is, but it's at least tens of thousands, if not a hundred thousand people. So to begin with, this is a scene of complete chaos. Second, there's that line in the middle that it says, while they were trying to kill Paul. Paul is in an unbelievably challenging place. And then at the end, the Roman soldiers arrest him, though even in arresting him, they're also kind of protecting him. Because it says the mob is getting so angry, the soldiers have to literally carry Paul above their heads. This is like ancient Jewish crowd surfing at the gates of the temple, with Paul being carried away from a murderous mob. Think about how insane that scene is. And just about all of the sights, the sounds, the smells of sweaty people screaming. Think about the thoughts going through Paul's head and the wild emotions racing through his heart. Here's what stands out to me. The crowd is clearly in a state of chaos. The Roman soldiers, it says, can't get at the truth and can't figure out what to do. But in the midst of it, Paul seems to know exactly what is going on. And we're going to see as the story continues, Paul seems to keep his head very clear about him. Which brings us to the next consequence of focus. Focus fuels perseverance. If I was Paul, I would have thrown in the towel right here. I would have got the commander's attention and been like, just take me away, put me in prison. I think I'm going to be done with this whole one focus stuff. But that's not at all what Paul does. On the contrary, in the midst of one of the most unbelievably challenging moments of his life, Paul seems to persevere quite successfully. So here's what we learn from Paul, and we're going to see played out even more. When we are absolutely certain what we are made to do, we will endure great hardships to achieve that end. Here's what we've been saying all along. God has given one mission to his whole church, and that mission is universal. God has called his church to make disciples by telling people about the good news of forgiveness and new life in Jesus Christ. But in that mission, God has made you, God has made every person with a specific purpose to help accomplish that mission. And that specific purpose for which we are made, that can become the one focus of our lives. And here's what we know for sure. In our lives, whether we're living on purpose or not, we're going to face hardships. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be conflict or suffering or loss along the way. It takes much to endure through life in general, but all the more, if we're living with one clear focus, we need great endurance. So, strengthen the clarity of your focus, and you will increase your endurance. As I was thinking this, I remembered a news story I heard quite a while ago. It was a story about the man who runs the company BioNTech, the company that made the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID vaccine. You know this company, right? 
the quickest vaccine manufacturer in the history of the world. It was unbelievable. Well, it turns out that this man, when he first heard about COVID, this was back in January of 2020. Remember for a second, here in Colorado, it wasn't till March that the lockdowns happened and that the really serious news about COVID really started to spread. Well, two months earlier in January, this scientist was running his company. And his company was studying mRNA and using it for all sorts of other purposes. And in January, he called his investor, his core investor, and said, I want to halt all of our projects. And I want to move 100% of our company resources exclusively towards developing the first COVID vaccine. I can imagine that the investor putting hundreds of millions of dollars into this research might have had some questions about why he wants to scrap all the research and shift to focusing on this brand new virus that we didn't know anything about. Turns out, after the company did make the switch in January because the investor was sold, a bunch of the employees were not happy about it. They said, why are we researching this crazy new thing? But the man who ran the company had an absolutely clear focus on what he needed to do. He was going to be the first person to create a COVID vaccine, and he was going to do it in record time. And sure enough, he faced technological challenges. He faced financial challenges. He faced people quitting because they didn't like what he was doing. But because of the clarity of his focus, he had great endurance. If you're facing great obstacles, great challenges in your life, seek God so that God might help you increase the clarity of your focus and you will increase the strength of your endurance. We see this played out in Paul's life because the soldiers are literally carrying him into safety. And while we might expect that Paul would simply put his head down, let them carry him away and get away from this crazy mob, Paul does something else insane. Paul says to himself, God has called me to talk about Jesus to all the people of Israel. And so Paul, while laying in the arms of the Roman soldiers, Paul doesn't look out and see a mob of people trying to kill him. You know what Paul sees? He sees an audience. And here is what Paul does. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, no, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. Paul looks out, and he doesn't see people that just tried to kill him. He sees people that he can talk to about 
Jesus. He sees people who needs to know the grace and forgiveness of God and the love of God that gives new life to all people, which in my mind is an insanely courageous act. Paul is literally still hurting from the bruises of this mob trying to kill him, and yet he chooses to silence the crowd and speak words of compassion and forgiveness to them. Which shows us the next consequence of focus. Focus cultivates courage. Maybe you are somebody that has great focus in life. Maybe you're somebody like Missy's story or Matt George's from last week or one of the many other stories we're going to hear in the weeks to come. But maybe as you look at the things you think God has given you to do in your life, maybe you find yourself saying, but I just don't know because the fear I feel and the danger of doing this just feels overwhelming. And sometimes I want to back down because it's just harder than I'm ready to do. If that's you, if you feel like you have a focus, but you need to increase your courage to overcome the fear, then here's what we learn from Paul. Increase your focus, and you will find more courage. Here's how I've tried to live that out in my life. See, I feel like I know what God's call on my life is. I feel like God has called me into ministry, and that led me to what I'm doing today. But that journey continues because my desire isn't just to say, hey, I'm in the right position doing what God called me, but I want as much as possible to know that every year of my life, heck, every month of my life, heck, every day of my life, I want to do the work that is focused on the one focus of my life. So I try on a regular basis, at least a couple times every year, to get away and get some quiet space just to myself. And I think about, what do I know that God has called me to do? Where have I seen him active in my past? And where is he leading me in the present? And to the degree God gives me more clarity, here's what I do with that. I take my planner. I've got a daily planner. And I try to get a short list of two or maybe three things And every single quarter of the year, I try to have two, maybe three things that I can say, if I do this, I know I'm following the path that God has led me. Sometimes it's about work here at church. Sometimes it's about my personal life, maybe my physical health or my mental emotional health. Sometimes it's about my marriage or my family. It could be about anything. But the moment I get any clarity of what God specifically is calling me to do, here's what I do. I open the planner, and on the first page, I write down those two or three statements. Sometimes I get it wrong. Sometimes I cross them out. Sometimes I change them. But to the degree I know what God has called me to do, I write it down. Every single morning, I wake up, And the third thing I do, the first thing I do is drink a cup of water, and the second thing I do is drink a cup of coffee. But the third thing I do every single morning is I read those statements. Because I know this world is going to be full of challenges that are going to try to distract me, fearful things that are going to cause me to step back. But I know that if I can look every day at what I believe God is calling me to do, I will increase my focus, and that will And that does increase my courage. And sure enough, that's true for Paul as well, who's now speaking to a mob that just tried to kill him moments ago. 
And he begins to tell them the story of how he, just like them, used to persecute and even kill Christ followers. But then he follows on to tell about how he met the resurrected Jesus and Jesus changed the course of his life. And it's interesting because in this speech, Paul shares some of the more difficult parts of his life. Listen now to what Paul says as he's speaking to this angry mob in front of the temple gates in Jerusalem. I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. I find this a really interesting place for Paul to start in his story. On the one hand, I get it. Paul is trying to connect with his audience. He's saying, I know what you're thinking and feeling. I was just like you. On the other hand, Paul is currently committed to following Christ and committed to starting new churches. I think this story about how he used to kill Christians might be a little embarrassing. I don't know about you, but when I think about some of the parts of my past, some of the parts of my story that I'm not super proud of, you know, there are parts of my story that I think, I don't know if I want to tell my kids about this story. I don't know if I want to tell people that I meet in the hallway, you know, in the grocery store or whatever. I don't know if I want to tell this parts of the story. Well, Paul takes one of the most embarrassing parts of the story and he shouts it to the masses. And this shows us our final consequence of focus that we're going to talk about this morning. Focus gives purpose to your story. It's kind of like we talked about how having a purpose makes pain more bearable. Similarly, there's parts of our stories that maybe we're not proud of, but we know this. God can redeem any brokenness. God can redeem any part of any story and use it for his purposes so that it's no longer just something from my past that I'm not proud of. Rather, with God and with a clarity of focus, it can be changed into a tool to accomplish the work God wants us to do. Here's the testimony of the life of Paul. No matter what your story is, in God's kingdom, it has a powerful purpose. We see Paul sharing over and over and over the story of his life, how he lived a life that he is now ashamed of, but he can boast in it because the power of God changed him and gave him a new purpose. And the same is true for you. As you continue to seek God and hear from him the purpose that he has for his life, he will make power out of your story no matter what has happened in your past. Now, this is the point where we'd love to read in the book of Acts that the whole crowd said, oh, we love your message, Paul. We believe in the name of Jesus and we'll be baptized. Let's dig a pit right now and baptize everybody. But instead, even though Paul's doing exactly what God called him to do, 
Even though Paul is being faithful to speak the words God has given him to speak, the crowd is not persuaded by his words. Instead, they respond, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. That's not a happy ending to this story, but it does bring us naturally into the last part of the sermon, which is, what's your move going to be? I've asked you to make a choice. We as a church are trying to make a choice together. We want to be a group of people living our lives so that God's purpose for our lives is the one focus clarifying everything we do. If you live that way, it's going to help you in a lot of amazing ways, give you endurance, give you clarity, clarify actions, give you courage. And we know that some people in the world might not like how you live your life because of God's purpose. So what are you going to do? Let me start by asking the same question we've asked every week. What is the focus of your life? For those of you that feel like you know the answer, I'd encourage you, write that down, make it clear, and start the work of saying, what are the critical next steps for me to take? For those of you that feel like, I I still just don't know, continue engaging in the practices we've been sharing every week. Again, I've created a way to dig deeper in scripture study. I put together some journaling questions so that you can see how God's spoken in your past and is speaking in your present. We've got the podcast centered and the website ccc-centered.org. Lean in so that all the more the voice of God might be a familiar sound in your ear so that when God whispers your name, you can always hear and respond. And here's the question I want you to let sink deep into your heart all the more. Will you make Christ and his kingdom the one focus of your life? That means we're going to have to have some painful partings. We're going to have to leave some things behind. We know that there's comfortable places we'd like to go back to. But it also means God will lead you into living for exactly the purpose you were designed to live for. As I was reading through this whole story of Paul's really chaotic experience in Jerusalem, there was a story that came to mind. It's from the Christian musical group called For King and Country. And they released an album a little while ago, um, an album and a title track, uh, that came with a story. The story came from one of the leaders of the band, a guy named Luke Smallbone. And he tells the story of the inspiration for this song, a song we're actually going to sing in just a minute. The story goes that his wife got pregnant and they were excited for the child, but she suffered from pretty severe morning sickness. And the morning sickness and the nausea were so bad that she went and got a prescription to help her deal with the nausea. Well, unfortunately, she became addicted to this prescription, and it was really consuming her whole mind. So that led her to decide to check into a day program for a couple weeks to work through this dependence she had on this pill. The program was very effective, and after she was released and came home, Luke tells the story about his wife coming home and going to the bathroom and opening the cabinet and pulling out the last bottle of pills that was still present in the house. And his wife said, I just need to 
to watch these pills get flushed down the toilet. It's like she knew the path in front of her was abundantly clear, but she needed to make sure there was no, not even a hint of a temptation to go back. And Luke, who wrote this song, tells the story of how that experience with his wife reminded him of another legend from history. The legend pops up in different points of history. It shows up as old as stories of Alexander the Great invasion, invading Persia, in more recent tales as well, but the place I found most compelling was a story about Julius Caesar. I couldn't find confirmation whether the whole thing is true. It might be some myth, but the overall scope is a true story. Julius Caesar was invading Britain, and he wanted to conquer the British Empire and march home to Rome in victory. Well, his first attempt was in 55 BC, and it was an utter failure. They sailed up to the British shores, and the British army was embedded high on the cliffs and quickly repelled Rome's forces, and they had to get back on their ships and sail home in defeat. One year later, Caesar came back with renewed vigor to accomplish what he set out to do. And they were able this time to make beachhead and have some early victories in the battle. However, After those early victories, they encountered even more obstacles, and Caesar recognized something. He looked around at his army, and he realized they weren't committed to achieving their mission. And he realized that all of his men were starting to look back towards the shoreline, and those ships that were floating in the water, a temptation to just sail back home. So the legend has it that Caesar called his whole army together brought everybody off the ships and said, we are committed to winning this war and we are not going to sail home in defeat. We are going to march home in victory. And then Caesar gave this order. He told his men, burn the ships. And with that one action, it became clear that his army was now 100% committed to achieving their mission. As you think about the one focus God is giving you in your life, let me close with this question. Is there anything tempting you to shirk away from the path God is calling you to follow? If there's anything stopping you, if there's any fear holding you back, if there's any obstacles that you just say, I don't think it's worth it to overcome, would you consider taking stock of your life taking stock of the value of God's purpose for you, and then making the choice not just to live with one focus from God, but to burn the ships of anything that might be holding you back. Would you pray with me now? God, I ask that you would continue to give us clarity. Even as I spend time in my journal regularly asking, God, what are you calling me to do? Show me specific things I can do. Give me the courage I need to follow you. Give me the endurance I need to stay true to the course. I pray that the same would be true for all of us here at Centennial Covenant Church. Show us, God, the one focus you have given to our lives and give us the courage to follow you wherever you lead. And if anything holds us back, God, help us make the courageous choice to burn those ships and commit all the more to going where you 
will lead. Amen.